Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the art of marriage. Um, I would suspect, you know how they say two Jews, three opinions? Ever heard that before? You probably heard it. See, that's what I said. Two Jews, you already, already have two different opinions, whether you've heard it or not. Okay, so all of us are here, I venture to say, for a slightly different reason. So here's how I want to start the course. Some courses I tell you what the objective is. This course, I want you to tell me what your objective is in taking the course. But I don't want you to actually tell me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your pen, take a piece of paper, so you should have a pad of paper in front of you. Take a piece of paper, write down in one or two or three sentences, however elaborate you want, but just keep it to like 60 seconds, or maybe 90 seconds. Write down what your objective is in taking this course. Why are you here? Don't tell me. Take the paper after you're done, fold it up, and put it in, if you have a book, in page 163 in the book. Okay, that's the instruction. Huh? Page one. Don't look yet at one sixty-three. One sixty-three is like it's like the western wall of the book. Kidding. Okay. So again, write your objective in taking the course. Fold it up. One sixty-three. If you don't have a book, just put it underneath your uh, your hand down. Does everybody have a copy of the book or the lesson? Yeah. Good. <coughs> no peeking. Well, of course it's your own, but yeah. All right, give another 30 seconds. All right, when you're done, please fold up your paper, fold it in half, put it inside the book on page 163. Okay, so what you've done is you've written down your personal objective for taking this course. At the end of six weeks, it is my belief and my hope, but my belief that your personal individual objective in this course will have been met. Okay, that's a bold statement, but I am fairly confident that your individual specific objective for taking this course, why you are here, not why I'm here, not why anyone else. Why you are here, your objective will be satisfied at the end of this, these six weeks. That is my, that is my hope. That is my, uh, that is my belief that that's going to happen. Let's begin the actual course. All right. So keep again, keep your objective, keep it folded. At the end of the, why 163? By the way, why page 163? Anybody figure it out? 163 is the end of the last, uh, the last lesson, the last page of the last lesson of the course. Then you can open it up and see indeed that your objective hopefully will have been satisfied. Okay. Let's begin with this. Groucho Marx. Marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? Okay, I'm going to give you another one. Oscar Wilde. Bigamy is having one wife too many. Monogamy is the same thing. <laughs> Finally, a fellow named Raymond Hull. All marriages are happy. It's the living together afterward that causes all the trouble. Okay, so these are some quotes that we have. Hey, Laura. Um, Howard, can you pull out one chair, please? Do we have any? Okay, yeah, one more chair. Thanks. Um, so... We have these little one-liners, these jokes. How would you characterize these uh, these jokes? How would you characterize? What would you say? Cynical. Cynical. 
There is not, in my opinion, this is not a fact. This is this has not been uh, you know documented or there's no survey about this. But in my opinion, there is nothing as cynical as marriage jokes. There is not, not even religion gets as cynical. Not even like religious jokes. Like, you hear the one about the three rabbis who walked into a bar? Anyway, the, the point is, marriage jokes are cynical. Why? Why? Why are we so cynical about marriage? It's difficult. It's difficult. And we know that marriages, many marriages begin so excited. The couple is so happy, so in love. And unfortunately, all too often, marriages disintegrate, there's tension, and they, uh, they fall apart. We know the statistics. There's an often cited, off-cited statistic that says about half of marriages end in divorce. It's not actually accurate. It's a little bit more than a third, but it's not actually half. But it's still a significant amount. Um, I've heard that the South has the highest divorce rate in the country. That's what I've heard. Is that true? Anybody know if this is true? CNN, according to CNN, this is true. They're local, so I guess they have a handle on this. Um, <coughs> marriage and family counseling in the U.S. Booming industry. This, like, why are we cynical? We're cynical because a lot of times it doesn't work out. 50,000, hey guys, 50,000 marriage and family counselors and therapists in the U.S. alone. It's a booming industry. So here's the question. Uh, we could, yeah, we could grab, um, you know what, the easy, you know, David, you know what the easiest thing is? If you want to just pull in that table, the signing table, just put it right next to this one, kind of ship that thing down, we can make it happen. All right. <coughs> Thanks. So, the question that we're going to start, that we're going to begin with, is what goes wrong in relationships and marriage? What happens to all of the love, to all of the promise, to all of the magic, all of the dreams? What happens? Why are we so cynical about marriage? Why are we so cynical about happy marriages? You feel like happy marriages oxymoron. It's like plain food. It's like, no, that does this right? happy marriage. <laughs> so we know, we know what the John Grays say. We know what the, uh, the Dr. Phil say. The question is, what does Torah and what does Judaism have to say about love and r- marriage and relationships, etc.? There's a lot of Jewish wisdom that's been collected over the last 3,000 years. Let's, uh, let's, let's definitely understand that. Lots of wisdom has been developed over the last 3,000 years, coming from Torah. And this is the big objective of the Course. I told you to write your objective. This is the overarching objective. There are going to be specific ideas that we hit throughout the six weeks. But the big idea is to understand Torah's perspective, the Jewish perspective on love, relationships, marriage, what works, what holds marriage together, what is not the best angle to take in, a, in marriage in a relationship to help us achieve healthier, happier relationships. This is the objective, the overarching objective of the course. And it's going to be divided into six weeks. Okay, here are the, here's an outline of the six lessons, just so you know what, what's going on, what you're getting into. Lesson one, the case for marriage. Lesson two, bedroom secrets. Lesson three, will my spouse ever change? Lesson four, becoming a better half. Lesson five, sacred space, no trespassing. And lesson six, make up or break up. These are the six lessons. You can find more information in your books, but don't look at it now. We'll be discussing it over the next six weeks.
I just want to point out that although... Um, so, a few things. Just the nature of, of this course. I want this to be a, a forum where everyone feels safe to share and feels comfortable contributing to the discussion. Um, however, I know I was cynical at the beginning, but it was just to kind of illustrate the general nature. I Let's keep the discussion less cynical, more productive. So, if, if there's cynicism, or you know, let's keep it very healthy, productive, and positive. And uh, a lot will be accomplished um, in this course. So, we've asked one big question which is how to keep a marriage strong, how do we, keep, how do we avoid the pitfalls, etc. And that's going to be discussed over all six weeks. But let's ask another big question. And this question is going to be the specific one that we focus on in this week's class. And that is, why do we bother getting married in the first place? You ever wonder that question? Like, why marriage? What's the point? What's the point of getting married? Um, the way I want to do this is, I want you to look in your books on page 3. Everybody have a copy? If you don't have a copy of the book, get a copy of the actual uh, class. Okay. Pass down to whoever needs. Everybody good? Okay. So take a look at page... Uh, sorry, did I say page 16? I meant page 3. Sorry, page 3. We're not skipping that, we're not skipping that far. I said page three? Good. Page three. Here's the question. <coughs> In your estimation, what are the three primary reasons that people seek marriage? Choose from the following list or add your own reasons. So I want you to do this. Take a pen. If you don't want to write in the book, you can write on a piece of paper in front of you. But mark down from this list or add your own. You've got three spaces. Choose three primary reasons that people seek marriage. It doesn't have to be you, it could be people, etc. But why is it that people seek marriage? Three reasons, I'm going to give 45 seconds. Why do people seek marriage why do we seek marriage? Whatever, whatever you prefer answer. Whatever makes more sense to answer. It could be either way. The question is why people, but you could personalize it. All right, 20 seconds. Do, 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 do. Top three reasons why people seek marriage. All right, here's how I want to do it. Who, uh, are there any lawyers in the class? Okay. I'm going to, once, I'm going to ask somebody to present. There are three reasons, or maybe three people presented. And then I want somebody else to argue why you don't need marriage to attain that objective. Okay, you ready? Uh, you want to do it? Okay. You want to argue? Okay. Rachel's going to argue. Let's get some reasons. Why? What's a primary reason why people get married? What do you have? Love. Love. Love? Is that one of them? Love is one of them. Go. Infatuation is what brings people together, not love. Love happens after many. Wait, wait, no, 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 not, no, don't argue that. I want you to argue why you don't need to be married to experience love. You can love anybody. You don't have to be married just to... to The institution of marriage to to achieve love? You don't need the institution of marriage to achieve love, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes, but I think it enhances love. It enhances love. How does it enhance love? Because you know that the two of you are going to be together. Mm. So then you're saying commitment, right? Okay. You're saying commitment. 
Okay, good. All right. So <laughs> let's get back to commitment in a second. It's not on this list, but you're saying more of love, but more commitment of the love. Okay, good. Let's get. We're gonna get back to that in a second. Let's get some more reasons why. Why do people get married? What do you have? Children. Children. All right. Well, I'm just. Oh no no that's so wait wait so you say society thinks that you have to be married to have children. Okay, so then that's talking about meeting social expectations. That's meeting social right. That's meeting social expectations. Okay, so is that a good reason to get married? To meet social expectations? I'm gonna get married so that somebody else feels better about me? It's a terrible. Re- I mean, I think it's a terrible reason to get married. Right? To have children? I could have children without getting We could have children without getting married. Right? Well, theoretically. Okay. <laughs> theoretically, yes. Huh? I'm just saying, technically. I don't mean. Right. I mean. Biologically, I mean, like, from a, from a. Right? Okay. What else? What are the reasons why people get married? Yeah. The spiritual growth that comes from making. So you're saying? Wait, no. So that's no. That would be one of the blanks. There are three. There are three blanks. So you're saying? Let's see if that could be attached to any of them. You're saying the growth that happens through through again through attachment. No. No. Through. Through making and living into a public commitment. Sure. A public? No, not sure. Purpose. You're saying a public commitment. We. I hear you. Okay. But I, I hear you. So, but then, but it's, but understand, and this goes back to what Bobby said. What then? What the, then? What marriage is basically? It's a noose. Think about it. Marriage. Then the whole point of, according to this angle, the whole point of marriage then is to kind of make it harder to get out. Because it's like, oh, you, all those people showed up and now you're going to pull out. It just makes you feel more guilty to get out. But it's not, it doesn't, there's nothing transformative that could happen. My word, it's not somebody out there making me do it. I so why does it matter that it's in public? So why, 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 what's the, what's the... Because when you make a public commitment, then you have your whole community enrolled in standing for you being successful. Not making you do it like you're going to be guilty if you don't. But they stand for your success. They stand for your success. So you're saying you get community support. I don't know, Brangelina, I think everyone's behind them. They're not married. And but they're engaged. Mazel tov! Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this. Where's my champagne? I didn't know we had to have a l'chaim. Yeah. So in the context of this exercise, you don't have to, you can make other public commitments that express the same thing without what we know is the institution of marriage. Exactly, right. So, right, so you can, you don't need this institution. You could say, you can publicly say, hey, we're together. You know, you don't get married. What's the kind? In other words, what I, the point of this exercise is to recognize that a lot of the reasons why we think, well, you get married for this, for that, for the other, etc. You can argue, and again, it's, it, it sounds like it's going to be an argument to argue, but it's not. The argument, hey there, hey guys. The, <coughs> we're not making an, I'm not making an argument, by the way, just to argue a point. I'm making an argument to open up a window to understand the Jewish innovation within marriage. When I say innovation, I mean the unbelievable insight that Judaism, that Torah, that a, uh, a chuppah brings to the marriage experience that totally revolutionizes the experience of marriage. But again, in order to get there, we need to understand that a lot of the reasons, I would say pretty much most of the reasons, or all the reasons, that we think 
that marriage is valuable for you can be attained, can be achieved without the institution of marriage. I don't need to go get a rabbi, I don't need to go get a ring and a glass cup and a chuppah and all these things to achieve admiration, attachment, being part of a nuclear family, company, compatibility, emotional security, etc. down the list. Why then do we marry? And I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. Studies, there are studies. I don't want to get too technical with numbers and studies, cause, but, but here's one thing that I want to point out. Of those aged uh, in the U.S., there was a study done about a year, in 2010. U.S. citizens, or whoever was asked, Americans, under the age of 30, were asked, do you believe that there's value in the institution of marriage? 44% of Americans under 30 believe that marriage is headed for extinction. 44% of Americans under 30 believe that marriage is headed for extinction. In other words, what's the point? It's an institution, it's a formality, it's old school. It's old school. And yet, this, this will blow your mind. After that stat comes this one. The same people were asked, are you planning on getting married? And what do you think they answered? 95%. 95% of the same demographic, not bait and switch, not the same people were asked, do you believe that the institution of marriage has value, etc.? They said, nah, marriage, extinct, obsolete, archaic, old school, old fashioned, nah, it's on its way out. Do you want to get married? Of course. 95% of individuals under 30, 95, it's a staggering number, 95% is, okay, 95% when you make, when you, when you like produce food, you can kind of call it 100% juice if there's like 90, you know, you could probably get away with that. This is not an ethics class yet, okay, so, yeah. The air conditioning is actually on, and it's, uh, it's getting there. We have a lot of energy in the room. A lot of energy. It like they, yeah. they may believe that their own marriages will go extinct. You know, they're going to do it, but they don't really have I, to do it. I don't know. Here's the thing. A lot of experts say, you don't need marriage. What do you need marriage for? And I think the experts, the philosophers, the experts, are, are, that, that some of that filters down into the populace. And the populace says, yeah, you're right. We don't need marriage. We don't need marriage to have kids, to be happy, to have commitment even. You don't need marriage for that. You can experience that outside of marriage. They say, yeah, who needs marriage? You want to get married? Yeah. But who needs marriage? But I want to get married. This is the paradox that we see. Take a look at text one. Howard, take a look. Read text one, please. Page four. Neither men nor women need to be... Oh, wait, wrong Howard. Other Howard. How, no, sorry. Let me, no, let me say that. Howard, Howard K. I know, I'm just... I set you up there. Howard. Howard... Huh? H1H... Hey. Howard Kaufman, take it away. He's the balder one. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah, nah. Neither men nor women need to be married and have sexual companionship or professional success or respect or even children. Yet marriage remains revered and Time magazine. So you don't need marriage for all these things, yet it remains revered and desired. People want to get married. Now, you know what Mark Twain once said? 
the reports of marriage's demise are greatly exaggerated. No, he didn't say that. He said the reports of my demise are greatly exaggerated. But we're paraphrasing now. So, marriage, it's on its way out. And yet, people want to get married. That's not going away. The question is why? So goes on, bless you. The question is why? Why do we still want to get married? Why? What's so great about this institution of marriage? We, <coughs> we don't need marriage. So on, we don't need marriage to achieve all of these objectives. I would, I would argue all of the objectives that we've stated don't need to be married to achieve those. Um, the odds aren't so odd. I mean, you get two-thirds odds, but it's not, it's not like guaranteed. So what's the point of marriage? Here's the big idea. Here's the big idea that we're going to present. And this is an idea that we're going to expand over the next hour or so. So I'm going to present the idea, and then we're going to go rip it apart. This is the idea. Deep down, on a soul level, we yearn for and we need oneness. I'm going to explain what oneness means. But this is the Jewish idea. On a deep level, on the deepest of levels, i.e. a soul level, we all yearn for and we all need oneness with another. This has been true from the beginning. This has been true from the beginning, from the first human being. Let's take a look at text number 2. Charna, take it away. Text 2, page 5. God said it is not good for hands Okay, so God says it's not good for Adam to be by himself. He's going to have a helpmate. And that's Eve. And it's not just... <coughs> You know, when we say, well, it's people yearn for and they need this oneness with another, I'm not referring to the psychological take on this, which I'm going to present now. It's on a much deeper level. Psychology, modern psychology also talks about this concept. People yearn for, they need connection, you need oneness with another person. That doesn't explain why marriage, by the way, but this concept of needing oneness, yearning for oneness, is a psychological idea as well. Psychologists speak about it at length. Let's take a look at text 3. Howard, K, E. <laughs> we live Page best five. in the shelter offered by another's love. An attachment bond is persistent. Once made, it is specific to another irreplaceable person. Once we are bonded, we seek out closeness with our loved one, and we are deeply distressed at emotional or physical separation. We seek comfort and a sense of security with this person. We are emotionally invested in these relationships, and they penetrate key aspects of our lives. These bonds have incredible survival value. We are healthier, happier, psychologically stronger, and we live longer when we are close and connected. Lots of benefits for this close relationship. Continue. This is why even though we might get distracted into a one-night sexual adventure, we still fight to connect and to hold on to our love relationships. Our most natural and long-for state is a strong, nurturing, monogamous pair bond. Okay, this is Sue Johnson. Anybody familiar with Sue Johnson? Hold me tight. I mean, tremendous, tremendous uh, individual. Um, emotionally focused therapy. You can read her bio. Her book is amazing. And anyway, the point is that this is what she writes. We need that closeness. We need that attachment with somebody. And that attachment, that close, monogamous attachment, she says. So marriage, you need the monogamous attachment. Again, you can still argue you don't need the institution of marriage. But again, she's saying that you need that attachment. It's healthy. It breeds independence. It be, look, emotional support. You can take a look. I put some ideas here on the, uh, on the PowerPoint. There's emotional support that comes through this attachment and relationship security sense of connection, obviously, independence, independence, paradoxically, right? The connection, the strong, huh? I was just going to say independence, because I 
But think about think about this. Think about a child. Maybe it's easier with a child to understand the uh, uh, the the correlation. A child that knows that his or her mother or father are always there, are always going to be waiting with a hug and a kiss, and every and, and and they're absolutely for them. That child we know is more likely to venture out because it knows that it has a safe place to come back to. You could argue the other way, but this is studies have shown. So it actually fosters. Huh? I have to say that that word should be, and it's my own opinion, interdependence. Interdependence? No, interdependence has a negative connotation. That means you're dependent on each other. The point here is that so you actually have... I, look, I, I, a sense of connection. I would, say, I would throw that somewhere else. I'm saying there is, a, there, is a, there is a concept that a strong connection actually allows the person to be independent, knowing that you have that connection. In other words, the more secure you are, the more you could venture and you're not afraid to fall because you know you have a place to get back to. You know you have that, that, that an anchor. You know you have somebody at night to come back to who will care about you, who loves you, etc. So you can take risks. You can venture forth, etc. Because you have that emotional anchor. You have that, strong, you have that strong anchor. Validation, self-understanding, higher self-worth, feel better about yourself, etc. These are some values that psychologists speak about or some benefits of marriage. But I want to get much deeper than psychology. Because it's not a course in psychology. This is a course on Torah's take on marriage. Okay. Judaism says something deeper. That our need for oneness stems from a place deeper than any emotional benefit or psychological benefit. It stems from a soul level. And this is the deeper reality that the Torah, Judaism, introduces to us and illuminates. In other words, this is something that we wouldn't necessarily be able to fathom on our own. This idea that there's a soul connection that is born through marriage, which we're going to develop this idea very soon. This is an idea that Torah actually introduces to us and illuminates and, and shares with us, guides us how to achieve the fascinating thing, and this is what we're going to turn to now, is that Jewish law responds to the spiritual idea. And I need to take a step back to explain the, the unbelievable brilliance of this concept. Many of you are familiar with Kabbalah. Madonna, right? No, Kabbalah. The real deal. Kabbalah is, huh? Like the cards. Kabbalah cards. Are there Kabbalah cards? I didn't know that. Awesome. I'll trade you a uh, chachma for a chaser. Anyway, maybe, it's, maybe they're not trading cards. I don't know. Anyway, so Kabbalah. Kabbalah is loosely translated, loosely defined as the soul of Judaism. There's the body of Judaism and the soul of Judaism. The body of Judaism are the laws, the rituals, the do's and the don'ts. Right? Do this. Don't do that. This is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. This is how to observe the Sabbath, holidays, daily life, all the do's and don'ts. The spirit of Judaism, the Kabbalah of Judaism, gives you the soul, tells you the deeper meaning behind things. What's interesting, and it, it's almost obvious, but sometimes we miss the idea, is that body and soul work together. Like a human being, right? It's not like your soul is doing one thing, your body is doing something else. That's, if the soul is in one place and the body is in another place, that is loosely defined as death. Death is when there's a separation of body and soul. Life is when body and soul are working together. So body and soul work together within us, within everything, every creature, there's body and soul. Even a stone has a soul. That's another, that's another story. <coughs> the same thing is true within Torah. 
that there's a soul of Torah and the body of Torah and they work together. In other words, this concept that marriage is about not a psychological connection or physical connection or all the benefits associated with the oneness, but a soul connection, a soul oneness is reflected in the laws governing marriage as set forth in Torah. In other words, by looking at the wedding, how a Jewish wedding works, unfolds, happens, etc., what a Jewish wedding looks like, we can see reflected in the customs, traditions, blessings, etc., structure, this unbelievable idea of the soul oneness that occurs at a wedding. Does this make, you see where we're going with this? Make sense, this introduction? The body reflects the soul. The soul is soul oneness, and the body which is the construct of a Jewish wedding, is going to, uh, to, to reveal this concept. So let's talk about a wedding. Let's talk about a chuppah. How many of you have been to, uh, to a wedding, traditional wedding? Right? Most of us? Okay. When you look closely at a wedding, at a Jewish wedding, under the chuppah, you may have noticed, you may not have noticed, there are actually two steps to the process that occur. Two, it's a two-step process. What are the two steps? <coughs> Say it again. The ketubah is actually the separation between the two steps. So the two steps are actually not including the ketubah. The ketubah is actually the reason why we read the ketubah. The ketubah is a document that we draft up as a prenup. There's no reason to read it under the chuppah. Theoretically, you don't need to read the ketubah. The prenuptial... Look, at a non-Jewish wedding, I, I don't imagine that anyone's going up there, and now for the prenup? Now, right, no one knows. You're not reading the prenup. Like, what, why are we reading the prenup? It, it's to create, there's, many, there's a few reasons for it. One reason is to create a separation between the two stages of marriage. What are they, though? What are they? The ring is one of them. Huh? The circling is the pre, it's, that's pregame. That's tailgating. That's tailgating. Huh? The one, well, there's two. How many cups of wine are there? That should be the first clue. How many cups of wine are there? How many times do the bride and groom drink under the chuppah? Twice. Why twice? How, how drunk do you want to... Like, what, what? Uh, okay, so well, what's, what do you mean beginning and what, what's sealed? Okay, so there are two stages in the wedding. Two separate stages. And I, will, I want to tell you something else. Back in the day, these two stages were separated, not by the reading of the ketubah, but by a full year. By a full year between the two stages. What are these two stages? I'm being super elusive here. Let's, let me tell The first stage is called Kiddushin. Kiddushin is loosely translated as betrothal. Now, look up betrothal. I don't know what it means in Webster's. It doesn't make a difference. Kiddushin, what word do you see there? Kiddush, Kiddusha, Kadosh, Holy. Sanctification. That's stage number one. Where does that happen? So you have... You should have. Um, if you don't, no, let's, I don't think that we added a lot of places. So pass these down. Whoever doesn't have, and you guys got? Did you guys get this? No? Okay. Here's some over here. You guys can all share. <coughs> all right. Everybody have? Almost down here? Okay. Uh, you guys got now? Okay, fantastic. Take a look. I copied this straight out of the sitter. The straight out of the sitter that we have uh, sitting right back there, in the, the blue sitter in the bookshelf. Okay, order of the betrothal and marriage blessings. First of all, you should notice something right there in the title. What do you see in the title? Order of the... Oh, so, hey, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Why are there two steps? Betrothal and marriage? Isn't betrothal... Mar- like, what's... 
So, two steps. There's the betrothal and the marriage. Kiddushin, and then the second thing is called Nisuin. We're not up there yet. The first half takes place. You ready? I want to show you where the first half... I should have actually marked it on the handout, but I didn't. The first part, part one of the wedding, happens from the first blessing, which is on the wine, Borei Priyagofen, continues with the second paragraph of blessing, culminates with the giving of the ring, where the groom says to the bride, With this ring you are consecrated to me according to the law of Moses in Israel. That concludes step one. Called Kiddushin Betrothal. Now, step two. Step two begins, and at, at this point, the ketubah is read. Yeah, what do you have? Is there that separation? Does that allow for the, the one year did. The reading of the ketubah better not. <laughs> because as a rabbi who's done weddings, that's the last thing you want is to have a slow read of the ketubah before you know it. One of the two is out of there. Uh, it's like racing down the aisle, heading the other way. That's not ideal. It's not ideal at all. No, ideally, everyone stays around to the end. At least to the end. <laughs> Oh, wait a second. So I want to I debunk a misconception that betrothal is engagement. It's not engagement. We'll see soon. You'll see soon why it's, it's, not, it's actually not engagement. It would be easy to say, well, engagement for a year and then marriage. It's, it's, you'll see it's radically different than that. It's revolutionary is what I'm saying. This, this is where we're going. But let, let me just break this down. So again, step one, which is Kiddushin. One, two, three. The first three paragraphs. Step two again begins with the blessing over the wine. So both steps begin with the Bore Priyagaf and with the blessing over the wine. Continues with the seven blessings, six more blessings, called the Sheva Brachot. And it also includes what else is done there. Um, uh, we break a glass at the end. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. We basically have wine and seven and, and wine and six more blessings, seven blessings total. Now, let's take a look at some texts. Let's read this in the words of Maimonides, where he describes. You know, keep the handouts handy. Um, take a look, text four A on page six. Okay, who are we up to? I've lost my bearings. Okay, Bobby, take it away. first acquire her hand in marriage in the presence of witnesses and afterwards she can be his wife. So there's wait so my money says, wait a second, you want to marry somebody? You can't it doesn't happen. There's a step that happens before. The first must be acquiring her hand in marriage. How does that happen? So the way we do it is through giving the ring. The main point of step one of marriage is giving the ring, giving an item. It doesn't have to be a ring. It really has to be an item of value. It's a custom to be a ring for various reasons, mystical and, and legal as well. But we give a ring. That affects acquiring her hand in marriage. And then she could be his wife. So that's step one. Step one is Kiddushin. Wait, how's that different from engagement? You'll see in a second. Okay. You'll see in a second. It's radically, radically different. Continue with text B. Bobby, continue with four, text 4B. Okay. A betrothed couple may not be sexually intimate until the groom secludes himself with the bride in his home and designates her as his wife. This is called Nisuyan. Now, how would you characterize step 2? What is basically happening? I said what we do under the, under the chuppah, but what happened? The groom is secluding himself with the bride in his home, designating her as his wife, called Nisuyan. 
What does it happen under the chuppah? The chuppah, huh? Well, so there's a yichud room. We know there's that room of seclusion that happens after the chuppah. But even under the chuppah, it's considered to be, that canopy is considered to be the space, the space of their home, of that couple, and it's their space. So it's not seclusion, that happens later, but the chuppah in general, the chuppah canopy in general, is that designated space where it, within where Nisuyin happens. Now, here is the wrinkle that will tell you everything you need to know about step one. You ready for this? If the couple decides to break up after step one, after step, step one not under the chuppah, not during the, the, the reading of the ketubah, let's say it's separated by year. Okay? And the couple decides to split up. In between, after Kedushin, the ring was given in the presence of witnesses, but that's it. There was no marriage. And they're not allowed to be intimate. There's no intimacy. They're not, they're not allowed to live together. During that year, back in the day, when they separated by year, the couple, they lived in their parents' homes for, the, for, for a year. They were not allowed to be intimate with each other. No intimacy. No physical, etc. What happens if they decide to walk away six months down the line? They need a get. You know what a get is? A get is a writ, legal, Jewish legal writ of divorce. That's even though they had not lived together. That's even though Nisuyin didn't happen. What does this tell us? What does, this, what does it tell us? That Judaism says, Jewish law says, that there's a marriage that happens with step one. They're married. Again. A promise is a marriage? Well, no, it's not. It's more than a promise. This is what I want to get to. I, I'm going to ask the question, which you may have. What kind of marriage is this? What? It, it is an acquisition, but it's more than that. It's more, it's, look, if it's your acquisition, so you just reverse the deal. Give back the ring and it's done. You need a get, you need a divorce. What that means is there's a marriage that happens. So you have to understand something. Wait, I'm going to answer your question in one second. I just want to present step two because I'm, I'm stuck on step one here in the slide for a while. It's getting me uh, all up in arms. Take a look. Groom gives bride out of Okay, we got that. Nisuin is the marriage. Now, I love this translation. Betrothal and marriage. Not true. Marriage happens here also. Marriage part one. Marriage, part two. We might call it the consummation of marriage, etc. But here is where the... Okay. The groom secludes himself with the bride in his home. The chuppah is symbolic of that. And, that, and the yuchur room as well. But even under the chuppah, both, both parts happen. Again, the major idea I want to bring out is that in Jewish law, the marriage is affected after or with step one. The marriage is concluded after step two, but it begins with step one. What happens in step one? What is the nature of the marriage? What? what? Legal. legal? Okay, it's, a le- it's legally binding, but what else? It's more than that. Also, consecrated. Wait, wait, wait. Where do you see consecration? It says, with this ring, you're consecrated to me according to the law. Where do you see that? Oh, oh, the shower. Oh, Mikudeshet. Okay, yeah, good. The Hariat, behold, you are. Mikudeshet, Lee, are consecrated to me. Mikudeshet, Kiddushin. It's the same word. It's just different for Mikudeshet. I'm Mikudesheting you. I'm right? So, what does it mean, consecrated? It sounds like there's, there's some <coughs> Hashem's involved at this point. For sure, for sure, God's involved. Some... But I'm asking, I'm asking on another level. What's the nature of the relationship at that point? Again, under the chuppah, it all happens so fast. Other way, other way. Look away. Again, so again, what's the nature at the step one of the relationship? Are they allowed to live together? No. Be intimate? No, no intimacy? No. There's a soul. 
So what kind of relationship is happening? I'll ask you another question. I'll ask, I'll, there's, no, there's no relationship. They're, they're both living at home. They're getting ready for the chuppah. That's going to happen a year later. So what actually happened? The dude, he gave her a ring. She said yes. She accepted it. Witnesses saw it. Mazel tov. By the way, back in the day, they had two celebration and feasts. The reason why we don't do... Before I get tangential, let me just finish this point. So, what's the point? The point is that you have step one. They're not living together, but they're married to the point that if they want to break it off, right? They don't want to continue to chuppah. You need to get. Why? I'll ask you a question. What kind, of, what kind of marriage is this? What kind of marriage? What kind of marriage is this? What kind of marriage? Look at this. Look at the. Take a look at the discussion question. I love this question. Where's the discussion question? Where? Page seven. Why would the Torah mandate a period when the couple is married but may not enjoy a marital relationship? What does that mean? The kedushin. You're married. But you can't enjoy the benefits of marriage. What kind of marriage is that? Number two, what is marriage if not a relationship between a man and a woman? In the absence of the relationship and what it has to offer by what virtues of marriage? If you're not living together, so how is it marriage? What kind of marriage is this? Yeah? What do you have? To me, it sounds like it's a spiritual marriage. And, and the idea is that... You're on to me. It's just my guess would be that if you're in it just for the physical, <laughs> that... So this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. We're going to understand that there are actually two unions that occur. There's a, soul, a, a union of souls, step one, and a union of bodies, step two. When there's a union of souls, body union hasn't happened yet. When there's a union of body, then, 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 there's, then there's both sides to it. But Kiddushin, the holy... Right? Kedushin is holy. That holy union of marriage is, uh, is, is a step of, uh, is a soul connection. Also, We're going to get there in a second. Yeah. If they're allowed, they're allowed to talk and meet, right? You have to understand. You have to, wait, 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 wait. First of all, yeah, the answer is yes, but, 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 but. I have to be, we have to be very careful here. They didn't have SMS back in the day when they had, no, I'm serious. They might have lived in different cities, in different countries. Travel wasn't easy. We're not necessarily talking about two people that were neighbors and they lived in their parents' home, but still they were sneaking off and like to the park at night and whatever. You know, just... Because I'm thinking, you know, some people get married and they barely know the other person. So if you have a whole year's worth, ah, we can get to know this person, no benefits, no payback. Yeah, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. And let's see if it's worth the I hear that. I, I hear that. I agree with that. I agree with that. I want to take it even a step further. You might not be able to develop uh, an emotional relationship either. Because you might be living in different cities and have your communication. Maybe once every, maybe twice throughout the duration of the year, you're able to see each other. You're able to get on the horse and buggy and save enough cupex, whatever, whatever, ruble, whatever, whatever you were, and, and make, the, make, the, make the treacherous trail to, uh, to see your, your beloved. The point is, you might not have a physical relationship during the year. You might, be working, you might not be working on an emotional relationship, and you're still married. Jewish law says you're married. You want to break it up? You got to write it. You got to. You got to get a get. You're married. What kind of marriage is this? I don't have a physical relationship. I have an emotional relationship. Ah, okay. So we see there's something something else going on. Say it again. Ah, only if he or she wants some more gout. Then the more you're involved, the more the shachin is the matchmaker. Does a shachin get? Is shachin? No. At that point, once there's the. Typically, an hour, an hour, you know, the way it works today is once there's an engagement, the shachan pretty much, the matchmaker pretty much. I'm talking about it from the standpoint of both parties or different parts of the country. 
and they can't be together. Yeah. Um, is the intermediary? I don't know. The, the, the short answer is I don't know. But it, it could be a case where they weren't. Jewish law doesn't take into consideration how strongly invested they are physically or emotionally to each other to then deem it a marriage or not a marriage. In fact, this is the opposite. Once you give the ring and she agrees and witnesses see it, you're married. You can't no intimacy, no relationship yet, nothing. You go to your house, you go to your house, you're married. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. What happened? Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, I, wa- I want to mention another thing. One, one, this was the sidebar that I almost interjected before. Why is it that it changed? And again, you have to emphasize clearly that engagement is not kiddushin. Today, when we get engaged, you don't need to get a divorce if you break up an engagement. It's not, engagement is not the same as kiddushin. Unless yeah, unless what well, you give her, well, our chabad custom is that an engagement you don't even give a ring because you don't want it to look like kedusha. You don't want to even also saves money. No I'm kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, I've heard of couples that have done it though. They've actually, you know, because I know that the way stopped doing. Or on purpose. On purpose. Oh, they actually did the did the yeah, yeah. So we don't. So the question is, why did it stop? Yeah, so uh, like not for like old school. Like not for old school reasons, but for other reasons that are more contemporary, like the separation of the families, or like okay. you know, they wanted to have something that was more tangible, real, right? Tangible okay. But it's a little. It's a little bit more. I mean, it's 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 not a little bit more. It's it's a real it's a real marriage at that point. Yeah. When did it change? So I want so to give the historical context. I don't know exactly when. It kind of slowly phased out this year for various reasons. Number one, during the year, lots of changes would happen. Wars would break out. People would go missing, etc., etc. And then you were, people were stuck. They were married. They didn't know what happened to the other. And, you know, that's... Uh, also, as I said, since both are considered marriage, there are two steps of marriage, not engagement, marriage, so that it had to be marked by a sudas mitzvah, by a feast. And the reality is that not throughout history there were times... Quite often, it was the case that the family couldn't afford two separate meals. So it's about consolidation. It's like, okay, we'll do the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah together. We've got to save some, right? So it's it's a way to consolidate. So that's a that's a technical reason. And the, the more I think, the more valid reason is um, because people would disappear in a year. You know, things would just you know people would go to, people were drafted in the army. Just things would happen, and uh, people. Is it, yeah. Let me see. Let me see. For a, for a, uh, no, no, this is still done. Yeah, absolutely. You first, you have to give the ring, right, in the presence of witnesses, and then afterwards, you could do. She could be his wife. In other words, afterwards, the marriage can happen through 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 part two. Marriage happens, but afterwards, she could be his wife. I.e., they can have that physical closeness through step two. The year. There's still step one, step two, but it all happens under the chuppah during that 30 minutes of the chuppah. Let's say it takes about 30 minutes to do a chuppah. Um, so during those 30 minutes, you'll have the first and the, the second half. Those are the two halves separated by the ketubah reading in the middle. I don't know. I don't have a specific uh, like year or, or you know century, but it ha- it's, it's hundreds of years already that it's that it's been consolidated. For various reasons, as we said, it kind of slowly phased out. Yeah. Is it essential to read the ketubah at the wedding? Is it essential? Uh, there's a few reasons for reading the ketubah. One of them is to create the separation. Another, what's another one? Ugh, I 
I just saw it recently. I don't remember the other. Re- there are a lot of good reasons for it. I wouldn't be so quick to, to take it out. I took that. Oh, you took it? Okay. okay. Actually, yeah. it, so you don't have to have the TV. You have distance separation. If the reason is for separation only, then you, th- you theoretically don't need that. You could have somebody do like uh, Kazatska dance or something, whatever it's called. But, but there are other reasons why the tube is red. Again, I'm blanking on that, but there are valid reasons for why it's red at that point. Now, in addition to the one that I mentioned, let's take a look, in other words, to really understand the profundity of Kedushin and Torah's revolutionary, and again, I'm saying a revolutionary take on marriage. Because ask anybody about marriage is, marriage is two people getting together. What does Judaism say? What's Kedushin? What's marriage? Two people living apart. What? How's that marriage? Ask anybody, what's marriage? Yeah, we're going to be together. Judaism says, what's Kedushin? What's step one of marriage? You're still living apart. What does that mean? How does that mean? What? Give me a context to understand this. I'll give you a context. Context is Adam and Eve. Right back at the beginning. Text number five. Yaakov, I think we're up to you. Take it away. Text five, page eight. God caused a deep slumber to fall upon the man, and he slept. God removed one of his sides, and he sealed flesh in its place. God built the side that he had taken from the man, and fashioned it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. The man said, at last, the bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. Okay, so this is uh, Adam and Eve. How the Torah relates the, uh, the emergence of Eve from Adam. So they tell a story that the second night, uh, Adam and Eve were, were married together, so Adam comes home late. You heard this one? No. <laughs> yeah? So Adam comes home late. So he's like, where were you? <laughs> So he says, I was working. I was, you know, we, got, we have to work the field. And so I was working. I was working. Things aren't so easy now. We got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, out of the aftershock. So she says, come, let me check your ribs. <laughs> let me count to make sure there's no one else that emerged. Okay, now, yeah, you got it? Made sense? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's a bra- I've never told the joke before. Is it decent? No. All right, we'll add it. I, I, I once heard like this when, when it comes to like speak like rabbi speaking. So the, the the rule is like this: stories people remember the most. The stories you can only recycle once every two years. Jokes once a year, and like words of like insights into Torah twice in the same sermon. Anyway, that's <laughs> no one got a diversion. Anyway, okay, good. Let's. Uh... You know they're reviving the capsule. I'm working on it. I, I hope there's some scouts in the audience. I'm throwing my split finger. I got my good stuff going tonight. I'm hoping that... Okay, anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I'm here all week. So now, let's... Um, here's the question. Here's the, here's the one question I want to ask. So, let's put up this on the board. Oh, what is that? Chuppah. Sweet. Okay. Uh, you call this marriage? Okay, we got that before. Christian man. It's always a good... You call this marriage? It's a good Jewish question. It's like, how do you answer that? Yeah? I don't know. All right, when God created the first human... Okay, so here, here's from the Midrash. Barashas Rabbah. Check this out. This is not in the book. When God created the first human, He created him with two faces. Male and female. Then He split them and created two backs, a separate back for each. So, man and woman were really created as one. And we have something interesting here. The idea that, that Eve is separated from Adam... And what the Midrash says, to give a little bit more elaboration on the concept, tells us that the human being was created fundamentally different than everyone else. 
or than everything else. Everything that God created. Right? You read the account of creation. God creates things. Creates this, creates that, creates the other. When it comes to the human being, He creates one human. And then from the human, He has to... Oh, Nebuchadnezzar has to schlep the other human from the first human. He's got to split them up. What? Let me. Ask, here's the question. He ran out of raw materials. What? He had to like pull one. Like, uh oh, we need Eve. Let's see what we can do with this. This won't hurt for too long. You know, like why, what's going on here? Everyone he cre- everything he creates separate and distinct individual. Creating you, creating you, creating you. You know what I'm saying? God created the grass, and from the grass he slept out trees. That's not you. God created grass and trees and fish. Comes the human being, creates one, and then schleps the other. What's the message? What's the message? Huh? What? They're one. The Torah is teaching us a profound idea. The Zohar Kabbalah elaborates on this. That's why I said a lot of this is Kabbalistic. The Torah is teaching us something very important. And that is that Adam and Eve are one. Then they're separated. Then they they become one again. This, according to Kabbalah, is what happens repeatedly with souls that come into this world. As we'll read in text 6a, I'll paraphrase and then we'll read it inside. Every soul is really a dual soul, which is then split in, into two. Ge- this is generally speaking. A lot of questions come up from this concept. A lot of questions. But in general, this is the general notion. That a soul comes into this world, or before it comes into this world, it is a dual soul. Then it's split into two, generally. Then, sent into the world. And then the purpose, or the ideal, is that the two halves join once again. And become reunited. We're going to read this in text 6a, and then I'm going to comment on how the, implica- the implications of this profound idea. Text 6a. When God sends forth souls into the world, each includes a male and a female joined together. When they descend to the world, they are separated from each other. When the time to be married arrives, God knows his souls join them as they were before. They descend into this world. So this is what the Zohar says. Zohar is the primary work, one of the primary works of Kabbalah. And the point here is that just like Adam and Eve were one, then separated, and then one again, as we see in text 6b. We'll get there soon. So just as they were one, separated, and one again, the same thing happens with every marriage also. There was oneness that existed before marriage, then a separation, and then marriage brings back the two halves as one again. See, this is there's there's uh, not so simple, not so simple. There's a big, big discussion amongst the greatest Kabbalists and other Jewish scholars over the years as to what exactly are the implications of divorce of a spouse passing away, of remarriage, all of these things. Or of not getting married. All of these things are discussed and debated and, and not debated, discussed and, and, and worked through. It's a very complex issue. I'm giving you the general, it's, it's, way, it's too complex to on one foot present. You know, we should move after the class about various implications. But here's the, here's the general notion. Just like Adam and Eve, the Torah tells us, they were one, separated, one again. The same thing is true with every marriage. There was, there was oneness of soul, separation, and now oneness again. So here's, and I want to tell you the implication of this. 
You ever hear the expression soulmates? Judaism doesn't believe in soulmates. You know what soulmate means? Soulmate means that you're mates, you're buds, soul buds. My soul, your soul, we're buds, we're like this. It's not what Torah says. Torah says they're not soulmates, they're soul halves. Much deeper than soulmates. Soulmates means two people or two entities that are hooking up, that are kind of right getting close. Soul halves is that it's part of one. So this is the new Jewish math. When I say new, I mean old. It's one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. It doesn't make sense. If they're soulmates, then you have one plus one equals two. But the two are mating. The two are close. They're close with each other. They're really close. That's not, that's not the Jewish concept of marriage. Marriage is one plus one equals one. When the two halves get together, when the two individuals get together, I'm not calling a person a half, when the two individuals get together, they become one, a union, a reunion of one soul, one entity. This is reflected in the Torah's mitzvah. When the Torah states the mitzvah of marriage, this is the commandment, the, 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 the charge to get married. This is what the Torah says. Then he's taken away. Continue with 6b, please, on page 9. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. The union of oneness. There's a oneness that, according to this, it's not only soul, soul oneness, but even a body oneness. We'll talk about a little bit later what that means. But and also, there's a, there's a profound idea about leaving the father and mother and cleaving to... That's another major point, which we may or may not talk about in this class. But the point is, there's a oneness that occurs. Read finally text C as well, please. One's wife is considered as one's In other words, one's wife is so... One spouse is so one with, the, uh, with, 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 with you, the other spouse, that it's considered one body. Ishtai kegufai. A wife is... What does that mean? What are the, there's legal implication of this. You know? You, you, listen to these unbelievable... It's the, it's the uh, clothing in the... In the uh, what is it? In the ketufa. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm going to give you more. More than that. There's a law that says when it comes to um, kidnapping. Kidnapping, by the way, was a major issue back in the day. Jews lived in very hostile areas. People would kidnap Jews, throw them into a dungeon, and say, well, you want your friend, community member, family member back, here's the ransom. Go for it. Jewish law had to respond to this. And we have this also in Israel today. Soldiers get kidnapped. And they have very high demand. Ter- right? Terrorists kidnap soldiers. If you want the soldier back, these are demands. You know, releasing you know, hundreds or thousands of prisoners. It's, we, right? Everyone with me? Okay. Torah law, discuss, Jewish law discusses what to do in this situation. And Jewish law says that you do not give, you do not pay an exorbitant um, ransom. Why? Why not? It promotes further It's going to only encourage further kidnapping. It's only, if, you, if you're paying $5 million, you pay it, it's only going to encourage more. Now, so the alternative is that the person should, should be captive forever or be... It's a ver- huh? What do you do? <laughs> he, he was a very wealthy guy. His his uh, his, uh, his, uh, child, his son is kidnapped. Oh really? I'm giving nothing. I'm giving nothing uh, to you, the kidnapper. But he's taking that money and it's reward for people to find. Ah, okay. Did he get him back? Mm-hmm. The work? Okay. Um, 
This was a, oh, this was a movie. Oh, oh, it didn't actually happen with him. His son. I'm thinking like, how did I miss this? Like, the passion I got, like a lot of things I got about him, but I didn't hear that something's gonna. Okay, so um, good. So you don't pay the ransom. When it comes to your wife, you pay the ransom, no matter what it is. And the reason that's given in Jewish law, in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, is that if it was you, you would there would be a prohibition against you raising your own for you. Of course not. You can't legislate that a person shouldn't redeem themselves, right? So spouse is the same thing. You're allowed, to really, you're allowed to pay whatever ransom for yourself. You're allowed to pay it for your wife as well. The point, or for your husband, spouse, the point is that Judaism says that what is marriage? Marriage is not two people living together. Marriage is not the union of two people. Right? It's just two people living together, getting along, or building a life together. Marriage is complete oneness on the deepest of levels of soul oneness. There's a soul, a fusion of the soul that occurs. When does it occur? Under the chuppah. When? That's the preparation. That's the tailgating. Before. The first stage. Kiddushin. Kiddushin is what fuses the souls together. The soul essential, the most important part of marriage in a sense, which is the fusion of souls, happens when? It happens when the Kedushin is taking place. And I'm going to... Huh? Yeah. That's the fusion. That's why we call it Kedushin, which means holy. It's a holy, it's a holy experience. The fusion of souls happening. Right? That's why the ring is symbolic of that. That's what happens then. There's, we listen blessings to, uh, to, for God to get involved, to make, to allow that to happen, the fusing of souls, etc. It's a powerful, powerful moment. I want to mention something else before I develop this further. And that is, one of the, um, one of the implications of this profound Jewish take on marriage is, and, and it's, it's almost like trivial to compare and contrast, but I, I do want to just highlight this idea. You know, if somebody asks you the question, who shares a deeper bond, parents and children or husbands and wives? Who has a deeper essential bond? Well, now you know the answer. But people might usually say, parents and children have a deeper bond because their DNA, their blood, they came from one, one from the other. Judaism says, Kabbalah says, uh-uh. Parents and children share a profound bond. They're still two individuals. Parents is not the child, child is not the parent. Husband and wife share one soul. They don't have two souls. They share one soul. There is one soul that is shared amongst the two. That's a profound oneness that is not experienced or replicated by any other relationship, familial included. Now, 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 now. Where do we see this? In, I said Kedushin. Kedushin, that first step of marriage, right? Just to remind everybody what Kedushin is. Uh, this guy right here. Betrothal. Acquiring her hand in marriage, giving object the value, etc. That is where the uh, the oneness of souls occurs. Let's take a look at the blessing of kiddushin. Right? It's reflected in the blessing that you say at that stage of marriage. So pull out the handout again from the sitter. Take a look at the second paragraph. Actually, you don't have to look. What am I saying? You don't have to look in the in here. It's in the book also. All right? You can look either in the handout, although it's probably going to be a different translation. Look in the book, rather. I apologize. Page 11. Here is the blessing of Kiddushin. It's the same blessing in the Hebrew, maybe slightly modified English translation, as in the Siddur, the handout, the second paragraph, and the first step of marriage. But here's the translation. Burton, take it away. Blessed are you, God, who sanctified us with His commandments and instructed us to refrain from engaging in illicit relationships. 
He has forbidden unto us betrothals and permitted us in, uh, unto us those whom we marry through Kugor and the preceding Kedushim. Can somebody please explain to me what in the world that blessing is saying? What in the world does that blessing say? It To me, at first glance, it makes absolutely no sense. Blessed are you, God. Okay, so far so good, right? Alright, standard opening. Lord God of our Father, etc. Who sanctified us with His commandments. Okay, so far so good. And instructed us to refrain from engaging in illicit relationships. Okay, not sure why we're raising this by a wedding. He has forbidden unto us betrothed. Okay, so wait, if we're only betrothed, and betrothed means... The Kiddushin stage, step, step one. So, step, forbidden, right? We said forbidden because they're forbidden, to, right? They don't live together. And permitted unto us only those, I'm adding the word only, whom we marry through Chubay and Kiddushin. In other words, if you only, only when you do the second step, then you're permitted. But hold on. You're saying a whole blessing is about the fact that these two are forbidden to each other now? Again, we're still holding step one of marriage. We're still holding step one. We haven't done, we haven't done the ring yet. It's before the ring. Before even Kiddushin is coma, is. The Kedushin, step one, is, 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 is consummated. Before certainly the seven blessings, the breaking of the wine, the breaking of the glass, before Nisuyan, before step two happens, it's still in step one. The blessing preceding the actual act of handing the ring over. The blessing is, blessed are you, Lord our God, who gave us this mitzvah that when you betroth somebody, we're, they're forbidden to each other. Oh, thanks. Like, what? So, I want, let's look at the question as formulated beautifully by Rabbi Moshe Vidramil. You see this in text 8b. Look how he asked the question. Burton, take it away. 8b. Where do we find the recitation of the blessing on a negative? On something that God forbade? When do you find a bracha, a blessing, blessed are you, Lord, our King of the universe, who has sanctified us with the commandments and commanded us not to do something? Never. Never happens. Right, so you have, you're walking in the supermarket and you see boar's head. Is that a good pork? Is that a good, like, okay. Whatever it is, a nice uh, cheese, cheese boiga, right? You're, uh, you're driving, you break out your blessing. Thank you, blessed are you, Lord God, who gave us a message not to eat uh, uh, milk and meat together. You, br- you break out a blessing every time you don't do something? What is this? What? Huh? No, well, that, but that's first of all, one second, one second. That's a different type of blessing. That's not a blessing for Asher Kedeshonu B'Mitzvot Tav. That's not a blessing on God giving us a mitzvah. We never recite a blessing on a mitzvah that God has given us not to do something. So here, there's a mitzvah of a do not do, which is do not be intimate with the one whom you've betrothed and not consummated with Nisuyan, etc. Oh, wonderful. So that's the blessing that I'm making that that He's forbidden us betrothed. So what, what's what's the what's the nature of the blessing? Look at the answer. It's a beautiful answer. Burn, continue in truth. In truth, however, this negative isn't a negative at all. The words he has forbidden unto us betrothed <coughs> reveals a paradox. The woman is betrothed, yet she is forbidden to her husband. It must be then that the couple shares a profound <coughs> soulful and spiritual bond. Understand his answer. Look at that answer. That's like a million dollar answer right there. That's like uh, that, that. That's a walk off Grand Slam Game Seven of the World. That's that's an answer. That's an answer. This answer. What is he saying? He's saying, look. What's look at the paradox? Is the paradox we've been talking about? You're betrothed. Right? Yeah, you're forbidden to each other. How? 
So then how are you married? You need to get... How are you married? You're forbidden to each other. Why are you saying a blessing? You're forbidden. He says, look at this. You're married and forbidden. What does that mean? That means that your marriage is not contingent on intimacy, what you gain from each other, the physical relationship. You have a much deeper connection that transcends the physical stuff. The living together, the, uh, the making coffee together in the morning. Da, da, da. Right? There's a much deeper connection. And what is that? It's a soul connection. And that's something to be thankful for. And something, indeed, a good reason to recite a blessing as he concludes. What's the blessing? The bl- and so the, uh, the obvious question is, how can we don't just say it in the blessing? Blessed are you, Lord of God, who fuses souls together. I don't have an answer for that. But this is the explanation that's given. That what is happening during Kedushin, there's a fusion of souls. Fusion of souls, irrespective of the body coming together. So, And how do you express it? By the fact that bodies cannot come together. That intimacy is prohibited. That it's not allowed at that stage. What, is that, what does that bring out? That brings out that, they're connect, that the relationship between husband and wife is not limited to that physical experience or other physical or emotional experiences. So what kind of marriage is it? It's a pure oneness of soul. So again, if we have to kind of um, uh, summarize... Jewish marriage is divided in two steps. This is very important. Marriage is divided into two steps. Two dimensions of marriage. Number one is Kiddushin. That is the union of soul. Notice I didn't say union of souls. It's a union of one soul. No observable benefits, right? They're not living together... They're not what we would consider in modern terms married, right? Jewish, legally they're married. According to Jewish law, they're married. But there are no observable benefits in this relationship. It's the foundation of marriage. A soul connection is the absolute foundation of marriage. And to separate, you must get the divorce, which is called the get. Okay, Nisuyin, step two of marriage, that's step one of marriage. Step two of marriage is the Nisuyin. That's a union of body. That's when the uh, emotional, physical benefits come in play. That's the objective of marriage. In other words, you have the foundation of marriage, which is a union of soul. Then you have union of body. That's the objective of marriage, which is how that union of soul plays out in the day-to-day experience, which we'll talk about soon. To separate also must get divorced because there are these two unions. So the point is that marriage, according to Judaism, is a profound experience where souls are joined or a soul is joined and where bodies are joined as well. Happens in two steps. And the powerful idea here is that the first step, that there's a union of soul even when there's no discernible connection of bodies. It's, it's the, in a sense, they're, uh, they're unrelated. Now, one should inform the other. The union of soul should inform the union of body. But it doesn't, but it remains a separate experience. First immersion of soul and then of body. The objective of marriage is that the union that one has of soul should also express itself in the emotional physical relationship as well. In other words, that I'm going to explain. We're gonna, the, the truth is, we're, we're about to get into this section. The section I wrote in my notes is called "The Effects of a Soul Union." In other words, so wonderful, Mazelov. So we know now that Judaism says that marriage is not just people living together and creating a family together, building a home together, and sharing you know, tax benefits and liabilities together. But no, marriage essentially is a union of soul, a reunion of soul. A spirit, a powerful idea. 
Now what? So what does that do for me? How does that practically affect my relationship and marriage? Like, what is that? It's a great lofty idea, but is it just philosophy? Is it just like Kabbalah? Like, how does that actually affect me? So I want to share with you various uh, ideas to keep in mind. Benefits. I, I, hate use, I don't like using that word. But tremendous, tremendous benefits to this perspective, ranging from the psychological to the emotional to the physical. Let's talk about a psychological benefit. Let's talk about a psychological benefit. What about confidence knowing that this individual is the other half of your soul? Think about that. Think about what Judaism says. You get married. What happens under the Chobe is that now your souls are fused together as one or reconnected as one. You share one soul now. Imagine if you really, if you really integrated that. If you really... If you really allow that idea to percolate and, and, and to sit well, imagine the confidence that that gives you. The confidence of, this is my other half. This is my better half. This, this person is who I'm with. Like Adam and Eve. I want to reference blessing number six of the Sheva Brachot, of the seven blessings. Take a look on this page. Again, the copy from the Siddur. Second to last paragraph now. This is in the seven blessings of the Nisuyan of step two. But look at the blessing. Second to last paragraph. Grant abundant joy to these loving friends. Words, the blessing is that we give the bride and groom under the chuppah. Joy to these loving friends as you bestowed gladness upon your created being in the garden of Eden of old. Blessed are you, Lord, who gladdens the groom and bride. So we're saying to God, God, give this couple, bride and groom, the joy, like the joy experienced in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. What does that mean? Why did they have such profound joy? So one of the explanations given, which I love, is that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't have any doubt as to whether or not they should be married to this person. Because there wasn't anybody else. It's like, think about it. It's like, well, maybe, I don't know, did I make the right choice? Confidence. You know that this is your... There's no other option. No, but in a positive way, of course this is my soulmate. Of course this is the... Of course this is the person for me. If you had that sense of security, a lot would shift. When you have an opening, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's... There's something else. Maybe there's... That thought, that opening, creates a lot of leakage of energy. Creates a lot of room for energy to be lost from the relationship. Instead of focusing and working, it's like, well, maybe I can slip out. When we understand Judaism's approach to marriage, that marriage means now souls are fused, and there's one soul, there's a, there's a unity of soul. When you understand that, then it's, there's nothing else. There's no one else. Somebody else? This is my soulmate. Again, what about divorce? Lesson six, we're not, we're not talking about divorce. How divorce plays into this idea, you gotta wait for lesson six. But the but but the but the the, the first approach, I mean, and the approach that we're taking here is that marriage means that there's a union of soul. I, my soul and the other person's soul, my spouse's soul, form one soul. Indivisible soul. Is there anybody else for me? How could there be anybody else for me? This is my soulmate. More than that, this is my soul half. That's on a psychological level, the peace of mind that this concept brings to the relationship. And, and it takes away the leakage of, 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 of energy. Let's talk about an emotional level. Again, all of the, we're discussing now three implications of Torah's perspective on marriage. 
besides for the fact that according to Judaism, it's true. But implications on a practical level how we go about our lives. Number two, emotional. Feeling that you're never, an emotional benefit, you feel like you're never alone. You're never alone because you always have your other half. You're not alone. You're not a half. You're a whole now. Right? You're, all, you're an absolute whole. You're one on the deepest of levels. So you walk into a room, you don't know anybody. So you feel like, oh, I don't know anybody. You feel a little bit, a little bit lost. Right? That's human nature, right? You, well, unless, unless you just go to the front of the room and jump on stage and start dancing. Uh, some people have that nature. But a lot of people right, kind of shrink in, in a space where they don't have... But if, you're, if you have your whole soul, you're never alone. You're always with your other half, in a sense. In other words, you're always complete. You're never lacking because you have your soulmate. You have that oneness. And this is how Torah defines marriage. How did Torah, Torah itself, when Torah said, when God says, let's create Adam, right? Let's, let's create a spouse for Adam. What does he say? What does God say, text 2? Going back a little bit. It's not good for man to be. Oh, look at that. Torah tells you what the benefit of, of, of at least the Jewish perspective of, of mar- what marriage is according to Torah. Torah tells you. What is the benefit? Of, what, one of the benefits? Of, you're not alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. This is the way not to be alone. You have, your soul is whole. Soul is whole is a good thing. It even rhymes. Now, let's, all right, let's, let's talk about, um, oh, and by the way, what if you feel lonely in marriage? People say that all the time. I feel lonely in marriage. I feel alone in marriage. What that means is a simple thing. It means that you're not connecting on a soul level. No, there is a soul connection, but it's not being tapped into. Your souls are one. Torah says your souls are one. You have one soul. Why do I feel alone? You're not, you're not accessing that oneness. You're living on a body level, and you're living maybe separate existences. You're not talking, you're not, right? or whatever it is. You're not communicating. That's all on the surface level. On the deepest of levels, you're one. How come I don't feel it? Are, are, you, are you connecting on that deepest of levels? Yeah. It's a good question. It's a very good question. Not necessarily. What I'm saying is that Judaism, Torah, has, you know, the Torah gives you the understanding of what marriage is, and Jewish law creates a framework within which this is allowed to, this, this can play out. Is it the only way? I don't know. Because I, I, I haven't studied any other, you know, any other systems, religions, philosophies that deal with, you know, the spiritual and the practical. From, from a Jewish perspective, this is both the body of Judaism, the, the laws, the, the rituals, and also the soul, the spirit that drives marriage. It's all, it all works together, body and soul, like a glove. It's all about union of souls. Two steps reflect that. The blessings reflect that. And, uh, and the way, and you'll see soon, another major law that, that works within marriage of, of the body of Judaism, so to speak, also brings out this concept, which we'll get to in a second. So, is it possible in other contexts? Could be. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm just saying that Judaism speaks, you know, specifically within, you know, within within the, the framework of Judaism. Yeah. So, if I married somebody who wasn't Jewish, is the reason that we say that that marriage doesn't count is because that wasn't really my soulmate and that future soul didn't happen? Inter. Look, intermarriage. Oh, one second. Intermarriage is a, is a complex topic. It's, it's way outside the scope of an hour and a half class that's focusing on this specific thing. So we, we can discuss that afterwards. And the, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of you know, variables when it comes to marriage. You know, it comes to mar- so let's, let's just stick with the general and we can get more specific. In, in, you know. 
Now, on a physical level, let's talk about, again, we're, we're still in the middle of the three, three benefits, quote-unquote, I don't like that word benefits, but three benefits or outcomes of marriage, in a, of the Jewish perspective of marriage. The third one is physical. And what that means is like this. When you recognize that you are one with your soulmate, right? You are one. You're absolutely one. On a soul level. Think about it. Now, I'm not trying to win. Think about in relationships. Oftentimes, we try to win. I want to get the last word. I want to be right. And I want them to realize that they're not right. Um, I w- God forbid, we try to hurt the other. Either through words, through actions, or through silence. Silent treatment. Right, I once heard somebody describe the silent treatment. You're not worthy of my words. Right? You don't deserve my words. <laughs> Trying to hurt the other person. That comes from a, from a perspective of there's me and there's you and we're separate. So I can win and you can lose, but I can win. The Jewish perspective of marriage says you're two halves of... You're, you're one being, you're one entity, you're one soul. How can you... How can you feel good about you winning it? If somebody loses, you both lose. You understand the implication of this? You're one being. How can there be any winner or loser? Either everyone's winning or everyone's losing. You're, you understand? Make sense? Yeah. So, at whatever time it changed where there wasn't... It happened at the same... Yeah. Period, was it just the knowledge of this that's supposed to have people... Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, oh, it's... It's, well, here, it's not really an experience. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um... Ideally, these concepts are, are expressed on some level to bride and groom before the wedding so that they have an awareness of what's going on. Now, are you going to kind of break everything down to the crowd and hold it for an hour and a half at the wedding? And the, the uh, wedding is called for 4.30. The couple will be over at 5.45. I don't know. That may be a little bit you know, extreme. But the point is that you know, the couple should have an, have an idea, at least, that there's two parts to it, two distinct... No, she's asking now. I'm asking now. Is the significance lost? I think your question is, is the significance lost because there's no separation? Intellectual knowledge of it, but you don't get to experience a year where your partner is committed to you. To but you do. I'm going to explain how, how we do on an ongoing basis in marriage. Maybe not at the chuppah, but, it's not, but in marriage itself, how we have this re-experience of a relationship that's not about the physical union. You could probably guess where I'm going with this. But you'll see in a second what I'm talking about. So again, on, on a psychological level, you have confidence that this is your soulmate. You don't need to look anywhere else. There's no, there's no energy leakage. On an emotional level, you're never alone because you have your other half with you. On a, whether physically or spiritually, you have your soul, soulmate. Physically... You respect your spouse. You give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you're not trying to win. It's you. It's not you versus me. It's us. We're one. We're on the same team. If one of us loses, we both lose. So embracing and internalizing Torah's perspective on marriage, on the essence of marriage, which is a union of souls, has a profoundly positive impact on our psyche, our emotions, and on the way we behave and act in our relationship. So here's the big question. How do we get there? <coughs> How do we get there? Most, I, would, I would venture to say most of us don't immediately see ourselves as one with our... On some level we do, but like one soul to that extent, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we were there and then years kind of pulled us apart a little bit and now we're not feeling that. So how do we get there? Maybe if we're jaded or... You know, how do we get there? So the first step is the awareness of this reality. In other words... Learning about it. You can't, 
You can't hope to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going. So first thing is to come to this course or to, to read up about this concept. In other words, you, but you already got the information. So you already, you already hit step one. Step one is to know that this is what marriage is about. According to Judaism, this is what marriage is. Marriage is union of two people, specifically of body and soul, specifically of a soul being reunited as one, as one entity. So number one, there's awareness. Knowing what marriage is and why we marry. Why do, by the way, this answers the question why we marry. Why do we marry? Not for the tax benefits. Sorry. To reunite the soul. Because it's through Kiddushin that the soul comes together. Right? That's the way that the soul can be fused with its, with its other half. So that's what we marry. So once we know what marriage is and why we marry, so now it can help us with the how we're married. With the, with the how, how do we be married? With respect, caring, love, commitment, etc. After all, this is my half. But awareness is not enough. It's not just enough to know why, what marriage is on a theoretical level. Judaism emphasizes that for a marriage to be healthy, it must constantly experience, and this is getting to, your, to Joanne's question, it must, the couple must constantly experience and re-experience Kiddushin moments. Yes, well, it's, that, that, that experience is missing. That Kiddushin, that oneness that transcends the physical experience Jewish law, there, there, there are various ways to achieve this. You could take time and reflect and whatever and connect on a soul level, but embedded, and here we have another example of soul and body working together. Jewish law says that once a month for about 12 days following uh, the onset of menstruation, physical intimacy is prohibited until, uh, until the wife uh, goes into the mikvah, etc. And then that physical relationship um, uh, renews. So here's, here's what happens. <coughs> you have 12 days where the relationship is about connecting on a deeper level. This is Kiddushin, right? The physical intimacy, the physical connection, the physical relationship, like Kiddushin that year, is off limits. What? And you're still married. But what's the message? It's deeper. You have a deeper connection than just a physical or emotional. Not that I mean, obviously there's still an emotional connection, but there's something deeper than the body. Marriage is not just a body relationship. Marriage is a soul relationship, and that time allows us, allows the couple to work on connecting on a deeper soulful level. So it's not that you know some people are cynical and say, yeah, it's good for those that are are anyway tired of each other. So it's good because it allows a. Ref- Ah uh, no, we don't have to be cynical. It allows anybody, even someone who has a tremendous, even somebody who, on a body level, the relationship is fantastic. But are we accessing what? It's almost like when a relationship, when there's a oneness and a, and a, and a connection on a physical level, it's hard to also connect on a, on a spiritual, on a, on a soul level, because you're experiencing, you pretty much experience one thing at a time. One type of connection at a time. So if you're experiencing a physical connection, that's, that's the reality of the marriage. In the, in the time when there is a cessation of that, right? When there's when there's a when there's a break, right? So then there's an opportunity to connect on a deeper level, and that's a tremendous opportunity. That's a tremendous thing. So it's just like the Kedushin stage, where you get the message that our marriage, this marriage, is not just a body relationship; it's a soul relationship. It allows the space for the couple to tap into and express their deeper spiritual connection and oneness. And the reunion following mikvah is like the nisuya in the second stage of marriage following the Kedushin. 
It's that now there was a soul connection that was revitalized, rekindled, and now following that is the, is the physical connection. So this is just one way. But again, it's built into the fabric of Jewish law. The Jew- again, the spirit of marriage in Judaism is reflected perfectly and seamlessly in the laws of marriage within Judaism. And of course, outside of the mikvah experience, there are other opportunities. We can take time to reflect and, uh, you know, look at that, look at that guy or gal. Look, look at that reflection. Reflecting so hard, you even get seagulls. That's like, that's real, that's heavy duty reflection. That, that's not for the uh, untrained uh, reflector. Anyway, in, in conclusion, from what, I, I want to mention one point, from all of what we've talked about tonight, hopefully you get a sense of appreciation for the importance, and I'm not saying this for any person, I'm just, I just want to, the importance of understanding Torah's take on marriage from an authentic source. In other words, why many seek uh, counsel from a rabbi or a rabbitson. Not Look, there are many experts and many books and great therapists out there, and that's wonderful. But Judaism has a unique perspective that you're not going to get anywhere else other than Judaism. Other than either studying Torah and studying the sources, or speaking to the rabbi, to a rabbi or a rabbitson, or coming to a course like this, Judaism has a unique and important, very important perspective on marriage, relationships, etc., that you can't get anywhere else. So, in parting, I want you to think about how your relationship would be different if you were to live with Torah's vision of marriage as a pure oneness of soul. In other words, if this is what you were really living with, that marriage is a pure oneness of soul, I am one, one soul, with my spouse, with my significant other, etc. I am one soul. How would that change? How would that change? I want to give you some ideas. Think about the doubt, the tension, the loneliness that would lift. Think about the notion of winning, losing, hurting, that would absolutely disappear. Think about the respect, love, caring, and dedication that would instead fill the relationship. Now put yourself in that place of awareness and consider some real-life scenarios. You know, we don't have time to do this. I, want, I just want to bring your attention to this idea. Page 17. This is a really uh, practical um, uh, exercise. Take a look at page 17, learning interaction number 4. Think of a stressful marriage scenario. For example, men, you arrive home, eat dinner, and are working at the computer on a deadline for a big client while your wife watches Oprah on TV. Is Oprah on at night? Okay, so obviously this was done by a rep. Uh, Oprah reruns? Oh, TiVo. Wait, Tim, is that Tim? Oh, she was canceled. Plus, anyway, it could be on her channel. She's showing a bunch of Chabadniks in New York anyway, which is her latest. Oh, is she? Anyway, so again, so she's why Okay, she calls you to put the toddler to sleep. How do you feel? So now, but again, think about two reactions. How do you think from a body level, from, I, uh, I'm working and you're watching TV, you put the toddler, right? Think about that reaction. Or, if you really, if you really integrated, and like, you need to do a little bit of this to get there. A lot, okay, sorry, you need to do a ton of that, of that, you know, dude on a rock, you know, whatever. Is that the Heisman? Whatever. And anyway, you got to do a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that meditation to really get to that place where you can feel totally one and therefore grateful that she has the opportunity. There's no, right? Think about it, right? 
Okay, second, for women, your husband is good at talking the talk and getting the big clients, but bad at holding on to them and handling the details. So he involves you more and more in the business. Then when your kid is sent home for cutting class and smoking dope, your husband screams at you, screams, says strongly, you're not available to them as a mother. What would be your normal reaction? I'm not available as a mother. Where were you? You asked me to be involved. Da, 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 da. Think about it from a Kedushan place. Now imagine you had a Kedushan moment before that scenario. Kedushan moment is again a sense of awareness of we are one soul. We're in this together. It's not me versus you. It's not a winner or loser. It's not I'm trying to hurt you, you're trying to hurt me. We're one. If one of us gets hurt, both of us gets hurt. How would you reframe what transpired in the larger scheme of things? I don't want... You... Talk, amongst, talk within yourself. And that's, this is the homework I want to give you, which is start finding Kiddushan moments or creating Kiddushan moments in your life, in your experience, in your day-to-day, and feel how that shifts. Which one? The first or second? Okay, so think, think for both. Think along the lines of we all, someone who says the reaction is, let's say the wife, we all lose our cool. I'm not going to get upset at my husband for losing school. We all lose our cool. So I should get upset at him. We're one. Well, he shouldn't have said it at the beginning at all. Oh, of course. Yeah, but if, but if I... if I, Okay, I'll be, the, I'll be the woman in this scenario. Because I'll... Okay? Right, and so the husband screams at... So I can say, you're screaming at me, I'm going to scream at you. Uh, so the, what we're doing here... Now, I'm not saying he was right. Obviously not. But for me to then get all, oh, you're wrong, I'm, you know... I'm wrong, you're wrong. Okay, that's perpetuating the, the separation. A healthy, a Kedushan response is, we're all one. I understand that he lost his school because he's very upset. How do we work on this together? That's, a, that's okay, so it sounds like a magical, like, good luck, we're human beings, we're not angels, we're not robots, but the more Kedushan moments we have, the more, it all begins here. All change begins with ideas. You can't have change without ideas. How should your, should your mother have come before you told him to put the kid to bed when he's working and Oh, I understand. Or before, or before he's, or before he screams at you for, for, for the kid smoking dope. Of course, it should have begun then. But the question is not. See, look, if I say no, 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 I understand that. So I, if I, if I'm the only, if, so here's the thing. If I'm the only one that's living with this perspective in the relationship, and the other one's not, well, then maybe we have to turn to lesson six. I'm saying then, then there's, a, then we're dealing with a different scenario. Then, then both parties are not in the marriage together. That's a, that's a different scenario. We're speaking now from what is the, what is the perspective on marriage? And both need the perspective. So if, if my spouse gets upset at something, right? right the woman, her husband says, you're not available to them as a mother. Meanwhile, I'm only involved in business because he asked me to in the first place. What are you screaming at me? It's not my fault. So I can get defensive. And I can get offensive back. And I can say, you're wrong for initiating it. And I could be true. And I could be 100% right. But all of that is taken into consideration that we're not one. Because if I really feel a profound sense of oneness with the other, their hurt is my hurt. I don't get defensive. I don't get upset at myself. For do- In other words, I'm, I'm kind of getting you know, too twisted. In other words, you deal with the situation and you deal with it out of a sense of oneness and love. And you don't deal with it in a sense, I mean, ideally, and, and, and you don't, your response is not defensive, hurt, angry. I'm not saying that what the other, that the initiation is right. I'm not saying be a victim, be a schmack, be a, be a doormat that somebody stepped, that your spouse pets up. No, of course not. But when, when, a, when, when out of pain or whatever, frustration, something comes out, look, we could also say when, huh? Here you go. Right. 
you're not validating, you're not validating, but you're understanding that you taking a harsh stance the other way is coming from a place of me versus you. And maybe they initiated it because they initiated the me versus the you versus right. The, me. But that doesn't mean that you have to be in that space also. I remember what I always go back to this. I always go back to this one thing that label wolf is a spiritual Kabbalist in Australia. He spoke at the Park Tavern. We had our annual uh, dinner. I remember one thing that he said that will always, I mean, I think, will always stay with me. He says, when somebody's screaming at you, no one, no, he says, no one thing. People scream out of pain. Somebody's shouting at you, they're in pain. If you shout at them, it's like somebody that's there with a, their arm cut, bleeding, and they're screaming, and then you're screaming at them. It's cruel. It's cruel. Why are you screaming at them? They need their their screaming is asking for help. You don't scream at them. Right? Your kid, God forbid, gets uh, their fingers cut. Whatever. Not not you know. It gets cut on the door or something. They start crying. You scream at them. You hug them. You take care of them. Somebody screaming at you is from emotional pain. But th- for sure, when it's your spouse, that's what. That's the same soul. I'm not saying that they were right for screaming in the first place. But maybe it's coming from a place of pain. It's not coming from a place of anger. You then look at it. Look, a lot of reframing. Uh huh. Yeah. When I have a customer that's angry with me, the sweeter I get. Right. And they're like, "Uh oh, I'm totally this arm now. Like, where are you going with this? All <laughs> right. Bacha, you had. Oh, Rachel. Oh, Jan, Jan. So a lot of the questions I heard, or the statements I heard, were about figuring out where it started and who was wrong to begin with. Right. And you can spend your life trying to correct the past and figure out who's at fault. Right. But the time to interrupt that is now. Right. You, your, your choice is right now how to respond. I love, I love how you said that. In other words, I, yeah, I can be exonerated. I can say, I didn't start it. They started it. They shouldn't have done it. But at the end of the day, now is my... Should all over each other. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it doesn't fix anything. Right. Because should from today to tomorrow. You can be right. Yeah. There's a, there's a cost to being right. Right. Uh, you know, this is... Uh, yeah. Being right is not always being happy. And being right is not always being one. Because being right means that they're wrong. And that means that we're not one. That means that I'm right, you're wrong, we're separate. That's the, that's the whole point. If there's one point that you walk away with, it's that Judaism looks at marriage as complete oneness. Pure, essential oneness of soul. When you're filled with that sense, marriage takes on a completely different complexion on every level. Emotional, psychological, physical, day-to-day interaction, arguments, discussions, on every level. Hope this made sense. Hope you enjoyed. Next week... The topic is bedroom secrets. We're going to be talking about three steps to enhancing your intimacy as described or taught. Torah, Kabbalah, mysticism, etc. You can't miss next week's class. Rabbi's orders. All right, thank you all for coming.